I know it's um, hard to believe, but at one point in my life, I was in junior high, you know. Um, yeah, it, it happened. Um, and like probably a lot of junior high guys, uh, I had big dreams for my life. Uh, one of them was like, you know, hoop dreams. Every, there's probably lots of eighth grade kids that have hoop dreams. I had them. And uh, I, I, I knew, so I was like flipping through this magazine called East Bay, right? Um, oh, East Bay, yes, East Bay shout out. Uh, so East Bay, before the internet took over the world, I guess, uh, I mean, the internet was still in place then. It was just, there was a catalog that would come to pretty much everybody's house that I knew of. And uh, it was just a sports catalog, so you could order anything for any sport that you could think of. Um, and and in, in the advertisements of that magazine, I saw the key to my hoop dreams. Uh, and in case, it's called Jump Souls. And I think I have a picture. They actually, I looked on it today. And East Bay specifically still sells them, um, which is awesome. Uh, but they're, they're called Jump Souls. I think there's a picture. Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah. They're the world's number one plyometric platforms. Um, so what you, were, what you did, and this must be the upgraded version because there's a DVD. I might have a VHS with it. Um, you just strap that to your shoe. And so in my mind, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to order these. And by me, I mean my parents are going to order these for me. And then I'm going to be able to dunk. And so even if I can't shoot that well, even if I can't, like, even if I'm not the best on the court, if I can dunk over everybody, that's going to add to my game big time, right? So uh, I, I begged my parents, begged them for weeks on end, you've got to get me these, you've got to get me these, you've got to get me these jump soles. I need them. I mean, look at them. Look at that. It's going to take that guy, you know, on the left and turn him into that guy on the right. <laughs> for sure. There's a few differences of those two guys, maybe. But they both have jump soles. So I was convinced by the advertisements that, man, this is my ticket to all my hoop dreams, and I'm going to be a starter uh, once I start dunking on everybody. And so I, it was one of those things, I don't know if you've, you've probably way more responsible than me, and you've probably way more level-headed than me, and you've probably never done something and asked for something so bad for so long, and then finally get it and then be disappointed. That's probably not your life. It's mine. Okay? So I asked and I begged and I begged and I begged. And I was like, just get this for me for my birthday. $100 shoes. Right? I think they're still $100. Um, $100 shoes. And I was like, please, just make this. I mean, make it a birthday present. Make it whatever you got to do. And so my parents gave in. And they gave me what I asked for. And so I remember being like so hyped. And like, all I got to do is wear these every day. I'm just going to wear them like all around. And then I'm going to just, one day I'm just going to be able to dunk. And then I get the box, and I open them up, and then I read, and I watch the video, the, the VHS tape, and there's like all these hardcore workouts. And I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whoa. I thought I just had to put these things on and like wear them for part of the day, and then I was going to be able to jump. Uh, but apparently, you wear them, and you do hardcore workouts. And there's like all kind of crazy box jumps and all this sort of stuff. And so me and my dad, we went, and... Uh, I did the workout maybe once. I don't even know if I got through the full workout. And then I was done. I never put them on again. Uh, no, I wish. I wish there were pictures of that. But uh, So I, like, begged and pleaded my parents. And I'm sure many times they said, Danny, 
you don't need those, you're not going to wear them, like, you're not gonna, I'm like, I, I got this, this is like keys to my future, you know. And then I did like one workout and I was like, that's way too much, I'm not all about that life, so I quit. <laughs> and I never put them on again. Uh, so I, I don't know, man, I don't know about you, but there's been lots of things like that in my life where I thought, like, this is going to be the greatest thing in the world. And then once I have this thing that is the greatest thing in the world, then I'm going to get all, all my dreams are going to come true, right? Um, maybe that's a little dramatic way to say it, but there's those things in your life where you're like, man, if I just get that newest phone, all my dreams are going to come true. If I just get that boyfriend or that girlfriend, all my dreams are going to come true. Uh, if I just get this or that or whatever. So think about that in your head. Uh, there's probably been something, probably multiple things in your life where you like, were so adamant on getting something and you like begged and pleaded your parents and they finally gave it to you and then you got it and you like, you really, in your mind, you know you got to, like, fake it for a while because you're like, this isn't near as good as what I thought it was going to be. But I'm going to act like I'm super excited still because I really begged for a long time about that. Um, that's what happens with the people of Israel and, and what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, so as we've been working our way through all of Scripture, um, tonight we're going to be, if you want to flip there, we're going to be in 1 Samuel. Um, 1 Samuel, which is pretty quickly there after Judges. So we were in Judges and then Ruth. Um, and then 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel chapter 8 is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, and so the people of Israel, as we've kind of tracked along with them throughout this semester, uh, throughout this year, uh, you know, they, they, God is, like, like, like Brandon was just saying, God is pursuing them this whole time. Um, the fall of man happens in Genesis chapter 3 where man sins and then they're cast out from the Garden of Eden and... All the problems start there. They were in this perfect world and they get cast out of that because of sin entering into the world. And then from that moment on, God is pursuing his people. Like what I hope you see as we go through all of scripture and the whole point of going through all of scripture is that you can see over and over again God pursuing his people. And even though they screw up and even though they screw up a ton of times, he doesn't relent on continuing to pursue them. And continue to run after them and continue to try to tell them, please understand, like, this is the better way to live your life. And they keep failing and he keeps trying to tell them and they keep failing and he keeps trying to tell them. Um, and so the last kind of cycle of that we were talking about is the, is the cycle of judges where they get these judges that would come um, and they would save the people from their enemies. A judge would be raised up. They would kind of lead the people, take care of the people, then they would choose to not follow God again. Uh, and so a new enemy would come, take them over, and then a new judge would be raised up by God to free them, save them, redeem them. And there's a cycle over and over and over, right? Uh, and so this is, at the end of that time period, the last judge uh, is a guy named Samuel. Uh, a guy named Samuel is the last judge, and he... Uh, well, we'll pick up in, in, again, 1 Samuel chapter 8, this is verse 1. It says, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in the ways, but in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, your old you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So there, there's these judges that are ruling. 
Samuel's the last one. His sons start leading a little bit, um, and they're just not following after their dad. They're not following after God. They are just doing whatever they want to get whatever gain that they can get. And that's all they care about. And so the people of Israel get frustrated, and they say, okay, we're done with this whole judges system. Just give us a king like everybody else has a king. We want a king. And so what's Samuel's response to that? So that was, again, verse 5, and he says, now appoint for us a king to judge us all like, to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel says, hey, God, um, your people here want a king, and I don't think that's right. Like, what am I supposed to do? Because they're, like, really pressuring me to do this, right? And I'm just one man. And God says, go ahead and give them what they want. Because they're, like, begging for it. They're saying, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. God says, give them what they want, but... I'll show them grace again, and I'm going to warn them. So give them this warning so it's like their one last shot to pay attention to what God is telling them. Um, And so God tells Samuel, give them a warning. If you're going to do this, first give them some kind of warning. And so he goes uh, and gives them a warning. 1 Samuel 8, uh, verse 10, it says, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. So again, this is Samuel's description, Samuel's warning of, okay, if you get a king like you're asking for, this is what's going to happen. These are straight, these are the words from God, this is what's going to happen if you get what you've been begging for. So this king that you want, it says, he will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground, and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war, and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, and cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, and your vineyards, and olive orchards, and give them to be his servants. Give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain, and of your vineyards, and give it to his officers, and to his servants. He will take your male servants, and female servants, and the best of your young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. And so very plainly when they're asking for a king, asking for a king, Samuel says, okay, but just know this is what God just told me to tell you. And he said basically, if you have a king and you keep begging for this and God gives this to you like he's going to, here's what's going to happen. That king is going to require to have people serving him. And so some of your daughters will go and serve the king and you will lose them to him. Some of you will lose your sons as they go and fight for this king. And so he's, he's telling them, like, this king is going to require all these different things and all these different offices. And so you will lose your people to this. You will lose half of your crops or a tenth of your crops to him. You will lose all these things. And it will not be this great thing that you think it's going to be. In the same way that my parents told me, you will buy these shoes, we will buy you these shoes, and you're going to like, you're going to think it's awesome, and then it's not going to be what you think it's going to be, and then you're not even going to use them, and you're just going to waste this money. And that's exactly what I did. But I was like, no, no, just give me what I want. That's all I cared about at that time. I said, just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me what I want. 
because I know this plan, and my plan is awesome, and I'm going to be an NBA all-star one day, and then you're going to, you, and then I'm going to laugh. Because uh, I thought I knew better, right? I thought my plan was the best. And so these people are the same. They, th- they say immediately. So th- he gives them this clear warning, and he says, this is going to happen. God is speaking through Samuel and said, this is going to happen. If you get a king, here's all the things that you lose. And what is the people's response? Verse 19, it says, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. So to me, like I read that, I read this like really specific, pretty crappy sounding results of having a king. And I'm thinking like, yeah, of course, the people are going to listen to some of that, at least have some kind of argument. But then they just go right away and say, right after Samuel's done saying that, they say, no, give us a king. It's like those people that you have conversations with that you're talking to, and you can tell very much so that when they respond, they're just waiting for their turn to talk. They're not even listening to you. They, they're just so bent on having a king. They don't even care what God has to say. They say, give me what I want. And God in his grace, instead of forcing them to do something, gives them what they want. In, ver- in chapter 10, so 1 Samuel chapter 10, if you jump down to verse 17, uh, it says, Now Samuel called the people together uh, to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. And if you jump down to 24, it says Samuel, uh, or 25, then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship and he wrote them in a book and laid it before the Lord and Samuel sent all the people away, each to his home. Uh, Saul, Saul is the guy, Saul is the first king of the people of Israel. So they appoint Saul as the king. Uh, Samuel tells the people all the rights and the duties of the kingship, and he writes them in a book um, and says, okay, here we go. So God gives the people what they want. And what we'll see in the next, we'll be in 1 Samuel for the next couple of weeks. Uh, We'll talk about King David um, and spend a couple weeks on him. But you'll see as we go through this, of course, what plays out is what God promised would play out. A guy that leads in Samuel, Saul, this first king of the people of Israel, had no heart for God and leads the people a really stupid direction. And he does all the things that God said he was going to do. He oppresses the people and he cares more about power than he cares about leading the people well. They say, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. God says, if you do, if, you, if I give you this king, this is what's going to happen. And they're like, just give it to us. And he does. And everything he says is going to happen, happens. So why didn't Israel listen to God's plan? Why not? If God's telling them, this is exactly what's going to happen if you do this, why do they refuse to listen? Why do the people of Israel refuse to listen? And and this is something that applies to us later as well. Two two reasons. Two reasons Israel did not listen to God's plan. Uh, Comparison is the first one. Comparison. If you look in 1 Samuel 8, 5. It says, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. 
And then in verse 20, they say, uh, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations. Why? So that they can be like all the nations. Everybody else has a king. Why can't I have a king? Everybody else has jump souls. Why don't I have jump souls? I don't think everybody else did. There's probably like two people that bought them. But, um, everybody else has a king. Why, why can't we have a king? They were so focused on what the people around them were doing, what the people around them had, that they, took, they, t- they spent their focus and, and shifted their focus to those people and took their focus off of God who was actually providing for them. They were so focused on the people around them that they took their focus off of the God who was providing for them. They wanted to be like everyone else instead of being left out, right? So they get this, you get this idea that they feel like they're being left out while like all the other nations have a king. So just give us a king. They're just comparing themselves constantly to the people around them. So there's these two things that go hand in hand in this, I think, that, that cause Israel to go after their own plan and refuse God's plan. One, comparison, looking around at these other people, but, and this plays into that as well. A lack of trust or a lack of understanding of who God is. A lack of trust in God. And that lack of trust comes from a lack of understanding of who he is. So think about it this way. So it says, um, it's like God's pleading with them. If you look in verse, uh, let's see, verse 8 in, in chapter 8. Well, let's start in 7, I guess. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say uh, to you, for they have, reject- they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. In verse 8, according to all the deeds that I have done, or that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Um, and then he goes on to say, in, ver- in chapter 10, he says, uh, chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and distresses and have said to him, set a king over us. And again, he talks about that verse before them, bringing them out of Egypt. Um, and they talk about wanting a king to fight their battles for them. But if they would just remember and think about and think about who God is, the God that they are serving is the God who's fought all the battles for them already. The same God that delivered them from Egypt, from the Egyptians with plagues and all these crazy things that parted the Red Sea so that they could get across, that parted the sea again so that they go, go into the promised land, that took out all the enemies around them in the promised land, that caused all the walls of, of Jericho to fall down. The same God that has delivered them over and over and over and over and over again when they put their trust in him. They're forgetting that and ignoring that fact again. That he's the one who's delivered them. He's the one that's delivered the people of Israel over and over again from their enemies. And they're putting all their hope in a person to save them. And forgetting everything that this God has done. Because God's plan was that he would be their king and they wouldn't need a person around them, or a person on earth to be their king. And and part of that plan, not only would it be him as providing for them, but it would also make them uh, stand out and be set apart from everybody else. And so that was, I I believe, part of God's goal is to have them set out, or set apart from everybody else, to have them stand out so that they would look different than everybody else. And so what, what the people of Israel choose to believe is they choose to believe that God is 
making them be left out of a group, right? That they're left out. Everybody else has a king but us. God just wants us to be left out. So you can look at the situ situation that way, or you can look at it the truthful way, and the truthful way is God wants them to stand out and look different from everybody else so that they would be a light to all the people around them. Not so they wouldn't be a part of the group and so they wouldn't be included, but so that they would be a light to all the people around them and somebody that looked different in a nation that looked different, that didn't rely on men and chariots and horses to defend them. They relied on their God. And then when he showed up and he came through every single time, then people would take note of that and they would want to follow him as well. But instead they mess things up again. And they say, no, give us a king because we feel left out. All those actions come down to their belief that God is not either good enough to protect them or he is just holding out on them. It's a lack of understanding of who God is. That mixed with comparison with other people. They believe God was making them left out when he was actually trying to make them stand out. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies to God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It says, do not be, well, present your bodies as a living sacrifice by the mercies of God holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He gave us everything on the cross. He gave us everything he could possibly give us, and he wants everything in return from us. He wants all of your heart. That's the last song that we were singing about. He won't relent until he has it all. He wants all of you. He doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you to be sold out for him. Every aspect of your life. The you that's here on Wednesday and the you that here, that's, here at, that, that's there at school every day. He wants you to be completely sold out for him. And completely follow his plans. And use your life, use your bodies, it says, as a living sacrifice. That you would literally give him everything. And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That if we follow God's ways over our own plan, if Israel would have just followed his plan and, and left, let him be their king, it would have worked out better for them if they would have just trusted him. If you would just give him all of your life, that one part that you keep hanging on to, that relationship, that secret sin that nobody knows about, whatever it is that you're continuing to hold on to and say, like, I'll give you everything, but I'm not giving you this. He wants that. He wants you to trust him enough to give him that as well. And that starts, it says, by the renewal of your mind. It starts by what you believe. Because everybody hears something like that, like don't be conformed to this world, and immediately you start thinking like, okay, I need to stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. No, you need to start believing this, start believing this, start believing this. 
you need to believe that he is trustworthy. Because if you're not giving him part of your life, then there's part of you that doesn't believe that you can trust him. So you need to start there. That's why it says start by the renewal of your mind. Start by another word for renewal is renovation. That you would renovate your mind. Like fixer upper in your mind, you know. Amen. The silos. Girls know what's up. I have a wife. Uh, if you've ever watched Fixer Upper, uh, like I have, and guys, you don't have to admit it, but it's cool. Uh, Chip Gaines is a really funny dude, and he makes it, it's really funny to watch him, you know. Um, but if you ever watched Fixer Upper or one of those home shows where they change a house, and they take an old house, and they renovate it completely, and they make it new. It doesn't look anything like it. They have a before and after, right, at the end of every show. And the before and the after, they look like two completely different houses. It's a total renovation. This is what this is talking about in your mind. A complete renovation of your mind. That you would stop thinking this way of the world and you would start thinking about what God is actually wanting you to do. And his plans and his way of doing things and his view of things. That all of it starts there. It doesn't start by changing your actions and changing this and not doing that. It starts by believing what God says is true. And not what the world says is true. Being transformed, following his ways, trusting that he is actually good, that he does actually have your best in mind. So put all that together. Like Israel, we should know better than to choose our plans over his. We should trust him and refuse to compare ourselves to the people in the world around us. Yet we continue to choose to compare and we continue to choose to believe that God's holding out on us in some way. And that causes us to follow our own plan and causes us to, which leads us into some stupid stuff. Into more pain and more anxiety, more frustration. So what's the answer? Two things. Quit comparing yourself to other people. That's one of the biggest things that all of you do, that I do. Constantly comparing ourselves to other people. How do I measure up? next to this person. And when we focus so much on that, it takes us so far away from what God wants for us. If we're just comparing constantly to others, constantly comparing yourselves. There's only one you, and God did that intentionally. There's nobody else like you. There's nobody that's supposed to be exactly like you. God did that on purpose. Uh, this is something that we want to teach our kids, that we're trying hard to teach our kids, that they would stand out and not fit in. I want all my kids to stand out. I want Owen to look different at school every day, even in the first grade. I want there to be something about him that he just loves people differently than other people. I want my girls to know so much of who they are and how valuable they are that they will not look like all the other girls. That they will be confident that God created them perfectly. And they won't have to seek some boy's attention to figure that out. If you've ever been around my wife for a while, um, there's several women in here. I know girls in here that uh, she has discipled. And whenever she disciples women, she always tells them, uh, be a flamingo in a flock of pigeons. It's kind of the saying that she uses regularly. That you would be a flamingo in a flock of pigeons. That you would stand out, that you would look different. Um, and she uses Proverbs 31, uh, specifically Proverbs 31.10 that says, An excellent wife or an excellent woman who can find her worth is far more precious than jewels. 
And the whole reason that jewels are precious is because they are rare and they are unique and they are uncommon. Jewels are rare, unique, uncommon. That's what makes them valuable. That's what makes them precious. Um, I want my girls and I want my boys to deeply understand this truth. That the better thing in life is to be rare, unique, uncommon. I think all of us know that and all of us want that, right? Like we want that. Girls, you want some guy to say, you are not like any other girl I've ever met before. You are far more beautiful than any other girl I've ever met before. Guys, you want to be told you are far more talented, you are far more whatever than everybody else. You want to be the best. We all do. We want to stand out and be different. Here's the crazy thing. We all want that. Like that resonates in your heart. I guarantee it that if you're listening, that you hear that and you say like, yeah, I want to be known as the best, right? And when I don't measure up and I'm like middle of the pack, I hate that. That's what I hate the most at the gym, at CrossFit, is that like if I'm in the middle on the board, that makes me really ticked. Because I want to be the best. I want to be better than everybody else because I want to stand out and be unique and want people to say like, oh, well, he can do far more than somebody else in this. He is far better than somebody else at this, right? I just want to stand out. I don't want to be middle of the pack. Girls, you don't want some guy to come up to you and say, man, you are just like every other girl I've seen. And I love how you wear the same boots that those girls wear. And man, it is just incredible the way that you show off your body like the rest of the girls show off their body. It's just awesome. Like, I, I, just, I just think you look so much like every other girl I've ever met. You would slap the crap out of that kid. I, w- I hope you would have, at least, right? Nobody wants to hear that. Guys, you don't want to hear like, man, you're just as good as everybody else at this sport. You're like really in the middle. You're like, you're like average, you know? Uh, out of everybody on that court, I noticed you the least, you know? Amen. Like, nobody wants that. Nobody in the world wants that. But here's the crazy thing. We all want to be, we all want to stand out, right? But every one of you does so many things to blend in. Think about that. Like, girls, you want to stand out. You want to be unique. You want to be precious. You want to be something that is uncommon, yet you will try to look like every other girl to get attention. It doesn't make any sense. You just want to, you, you, you decide to fit in instead. And that does not make you precious and stand, like we were made to stand out. We were all made to stand out. We work so hard to dress and walk and talk and look like everyone else, but when we all really want to be different. So take your focus off of everyone else and put it on Christ. Quit looking at everybody else and what everybody else is doing and focus on Christ. And then when you can do that, you can take care of the other problem on this thing. So you'll stop comparing yourself and you take your eyes off other people and put it on Christ. And then you can know Jesus more. And when you know Jesus more, you will trust him more. Because again, that was the two problems that we see with the people of Israel. That's the two problems I would say you see in your life. Is that you're comparing yourself to other people and you're not trusting God. And so when you stop comparing yourself to other people and you just focus on him, you will know him more. And when you know him more, you will trust him more. That's a guarantee. If you know him more, you will trust him more. Psalm 9.10 says that. Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your name put their trust in you. It's not they may put their trust in you. They might. They will put their trust in you if they know your name. Because you never forsake your people. 
Don't be ignorant and clueless of who he is and what he has done. He made you so that you would stand out. He doesn't want you to be like anybody else. Laurel, he doesn't want you to be all, every other girl. He wants you to be you. He has specific things that I believe he wants to do with your life specifically. He wants to use you. Blake, he wants to use you. Not like he wants to use Nathan. He wants to use you in different ways. He made you to use you that way. And, and so many times we just follow our own rules and we do our own things. And I feel like, man, we're just wasting what God has given us. We just try to blend in and be like everybody else. We try to fit in with the crowd. And that's not what we were made for. We were made to stand out, to look different, to be unique. So stop comparing yourselves to all these other people and trust in who he is and what he wants to do with your life. The truth is his plan will always be better. His plan will always be better than yours. He is always trustworthy, and he's never holding out on you, ever.